Hey, this is Tolly Wilkins of Captivate Church, and we're so glad you've joined us on our podcast today. This is one way that we can take our message from Baltimore all across the world. We pray that today encourages you, inspires you to become the man or woman that God's designed you to be. So today we continue our series on um, virtue and vice, and we've been walking through the personalities that exist as well as how the Holy Spirit of God can adjust each of our personalities to move from flesh thinking to spirit thinking. And over the first several weeks, we've walked through uh, numbers one through five, and today we come up to the six. Just as a quick refresher, the, the, the number uh, eight, nine, and one, I want you to take a look at the graphic eight, nine, and one up here. They're in the gut triad. They kind of feel life coming at them. So eight, nine, and one, they also have uh, kind of anger just below the surface. And then we have uh, uh, shame and uh, fear and shame. Shame is a two, three, and four. Two, threes, and fours, they kind of really need a lot of, they want to know that the world loves them. They want to know that the world likes them. And so they do different things. The two through, through uh, love and helps. Uh, the three through performance. The four through being an individual and creative and I'm special. Then we got last week, we moved into the five. Now we're moving into the sphere of, uh, of fear. We're moving into the sphere of the thinking triad. So using their head, but also having a concern for what they're seeing in the world, these people respond to the world in a little bit different way. So last week we talked about the five, which is kind of an engineer type. The five um, basically says, because there's all this data, I want to be the very best, and I want to make sure that I've got my act together before I step out into the world. So they're a more reserved person. They, uh, they take their time to engage, but when they do, they have a lot to say because they go deep in their thoughts. They're, they go deep in their expressions um, towards others. And then we have the six and the seven. Today we'll talk about the six. It's right in the dead center of the fear triad. But then you have the seven. So where the five downloads everything and absorbs all the problems, the seven we're going to talk about next week, they pretend problems don't exist. They just go, oh, oh, the world's great. The world's great. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. That's what the seven does. And so on either side of the six, you've got a personality that deals with problems in the world by downloading and digesting and getting uh, personal and keeps to themselves. And then on the other side of that same exact equation, you've got the sevens, which say everything's fine and I'm going to fly across the world and I'm going to take vacations and who cares about bank accounts? Like it's just going to be all right. And so these are your party types. You want some sevens in your life. I love the sevens I have in my life. Um, but the sevens, uh, the sevens and the fives, they handle the same problem differently, but right in the center is the six. The six takes the problem head on. The, the six absorbs the, the, the basis of fear. And we've got, um, uh, we have distributed all across the church different numbers, but I know for sure there's some sixes. The sixes have some other uh, great attributes as well that I hope that you get to um, embrace and understand about them. So the type six, let's take a look. The primary focus of attention is on worst case scenarios. What can go wrong? And they try to anticipate potential harm. So your sixes are always looking around and, and trying to find out what's wrong. And, and so you move into a new house, the six naturally will just be like, okay, before we move in, let's get ADT. Let's get an alarm system. You know, something could go wrong. We've got to make sure it doesn't go wrong. Uh, the six also, the hidden struggles, the constant need for intercom to make the world trouble-free and predictable. Anxiety from internal committee of voices, similar to the one they get confused for each other, but it's a different committee. The internal committee of voices constantly chi chiming in worst case scenarios, 
contradictory thoughts and questions, making me second-guess myself and what I know. The inability to think clearly and make sound decisions when uh, my mind is always in a hyper-vigilant state. So the six is always just thinking about what could go wrong, what could go wrong, and this could go wrong, that could go wrong, but what about that? Well, what about that? What about that? What about that? And so their mind is always running with looking out into the world and just saying, hey, I want to make sure that I'm safe. I want to make sure that I'm good. Uh, The fear is a locative emotion, meaning it's based on location. You're not afraid of heights unless you get high, not high, high, (laughs) tall. So, but it's a locative emotion. And so basically, it's not that the person walks around constantly afraid of everything. They're not, they're, they're not always just, just they, they don't look like frail people that are just always afraid of getting hurt. But it is locative. And so they can sense when something is coming up or something might be a danger to them. Six is easily tune into the potential for hidden danger and risk. When looking at behavior, it's particularly difficult to uh, recognize sixes because the phobic and counterphobic behavior, I'm going to get to that, being so different. At an energy level, the six, however, acted, uh, however, acting upon and reacting to a sense of trepidation and anxiety that they experience. Six may protect themselves as skeptical. They are attuned to issues of trust, responsibility, and loyalty. They have an inherent need to feel that they are safe and they do belong. Their inner, internal mental processes tend to have a yes, but, and a what if inclination. So the, the people that are, are sixes in your life, they're, they're always um, concerned that something is going to go wrong. And so this is why one of their great attributes shine, loyalty. Sixes are the, um, some of the most loyal people you're ever going to meet because when they know that they're loved and accepted by you, they're going to make sure that you've get, you're getting that from them. And so sixes in your life are very loyal. So they're called the loyal skeptic or the loyalist. They're rest fruit. Remember, we talked about this idea that the the Holy Spirit of God, each one of us has a fruit where we might say, oh, I'm good with the Holy Spirit because I do this without thought. Well, all of us have a rest fruit. The rest fruit for a six is uh, faithfulness. Because of their loyalty, they have no problem being faithful. They have no problem staying connected. That's not really up in their alley that they're concerned about. Now, their vice is fear, as we've talked about. And so their stretch fruit is actually goodness. Goodness. This is uh, uh, the long line of Galatians 5. Goodness is the one that sixes have to work on. It's not because sixes aren't good. You're going to see it's because goodness requires me to live outside of myself and do for you, care for you. And so if I'm afraid of me, then I'm worried about me in that moment. Think about your, your, your response systems to fear. When you're afraid, you start to, to come in and protect self. Goodness requires you to live out of an overflow and caring about others. And so that opens yourself up to risk. Strengths of the six, responsible, loyal, sensible, determined, prepared, conscientious, stabilizing, charming, prudent, honorable, tenacious. Sometimes they can play the devil's advocate. Reliable, steady, and dependable. These are um, who a six would be. Now, the weaknesses to the six, because they're looking for fear-based concerns, sixes are very adept at sensing danger. But when they're unhealthy, this instinct can move into full-blown paranoia. Longing for security keeps them ready to defend or attack in order to remain safe. The non-resourceful six are one that's not uh, walking with, with, with Christ and in the fullness of the Spirit and confidence that, that they are God's son or daughter. 
Um, They are dogmatic, suspecting, rigid, uptight, authoritarian, timid. They assume the worst. They're indecisive. They're wary. They're anxious. um, Worriers, and they're uncertain. Now, the counterphobic, some sixes respond to their fear by becoming what's called counterphobic, opposite of the phobia. They They become daredevils or very aggressive when they're faced with a threat. Instead of addressing a fear that they might have inside, they lash out. And so phobic and counterphobic, I'm going to describe in a second, but there, you need to understand not all sixes are the same, just like not all lots are the same, but the sixes have a distinct identifier in that some look at fear and the, they act out in their behavior as if they're afraid, they pull back, but some sixes, they actually do the opposite. They're called counterphobic sixes. And because of the fear, they lash out. And so you might observe them and think, well, man, they're, they're much more of like a one, they're much more like an eight, they're probably up in the gut triad somewhere. But really, they're not. It's the fear that says, I've got to jump out of the plane. I've got to go live by myself for a while. I've got to try because I'm so afraid. And so internally, they just make a decision. I know I'm, I'm afraid, but I've got to face my fears. And so they live according to that. And so all the time, they're taking more risk and doing more things. And you might believe, well, gee, they're just natural risk takers. They're not. They're responding to their fears and concerns. The vice of the six being fear. Many sixes live with a low level of anxiety and fear, kind of always present. Non-resourceful sixes are best with anxiety and panic attacks, are often beset with um, anxiety and panic attacks. Non-resourceful sixes expect the worst, and they often can point to it happening to them. So all that does is say, yeah, it just validates your concerns. Sixes have an exaggerated need for security, and they tie themselves in knots in an effort to feel safe. They may shrink from acting out or speaking up out of fear of being inadequate or insecure. They fear exposure to uncharted ground. And so fear is a natural vice of a six. Now, I told you, uh, phobic or counterphobic, essentially you can describe it like this, uh, fight or flight. A counterphobic six says, I'm afraid, so I have to fight. A phobic six says, I'm afraid, so I've got to protect myself. But the issue with a personality is it's not about what is outward, as we started out. It's not about your behavior. It's about your motivation. And so when you talk about different personalities, and we're trying to take every thought captive to the mind of Christ, and we're trying to understand how can the Spirit best work in me, it's important that I understand what are my motives what starts my day? What, how do I view the world? Why is it that 10 people can see the same situation and all respond differently? Well, if I'm trying to understand how God made me and wired me so that I can live a more holy and just life before him, I need to understand what is my natural bent. And some of us that are in this room, our natural bent might be as sixes to, to say, you know what, I, I, I'm afraid I got to pull back. Some of us as sixes might say, you know what, it's not that I'm afraid I got to pull back. I'm afraid so I got to charge forward. And so uh, fight or flight comes up quite a bit for the sixes. Galatians 5, and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now the stretch virtue of the six. Goodness is uprightness of heart and life. Agothuosenai is goodness for the benefit of others. Not goodness simply for the sake of being virtuous. So the idea of goodness here is not just, oh, be a good person or, or be a moral person. It's not that. It's actually you're, you're bending it towards the, you're upright of life and heart towards others. Goodness is like an overflow 
of, of the, the Spirit of God in you, it leads to caring about others and being genuine for others. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So the person who's a six being stretched to the goodness is saying, listen, it's not about whether or not you're moral or not. It's about are you living such a life that it's overflowing? Goodness is not simply being good as a core value inside and keeping it to myself. Goodness is about allowing the overflow of God's goodness to me, uprightness, upstanding towards others. And so other people are being blessed with the overflow of what God has brought in me. And so some of us, we say, well, hey, it's just a personal relationship with me and God. And so I can, I can have a good life. I can be a moral person and keep it to myself, and I'm great. Well, goodness is an overflow of that virtue. And this is where the six could use some stretch because the six says, no, 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 I'm afraid. I've got to hoard it all. I've got to, I've got to protect myself. I've got to make sure I'm safe. Whereas goodness says, no, 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 I'm going to walk right before God but I'm also going to care about others. I'm going to open myself up and become a little bit vulnerable in that way. So the stretch to goodness, it's less about being good, but it's what does good overflow into others. Daniel Lee is one of the sources that I've been looking at among many others, but he asked these questions I thought were fantastic um, about the character we're going to look at today. We're going to look at Peter. And as you look at each of these characters throughout the Bible, remember my goal is simply to say a sermon for the six, or the sermon for the five last week, sermon for the seven next week. So I'm just trying to give a sermon that is going to pull the truths of the gospel out, but for that personality type, it may help them resonate more than maybe others or in a more unique way. But the, the scriptures themselves and the people themselves, I want you to know two things. One, the scripture is good for all of us. And like I've been saying every week, it doesn't matter what number we're on. Take a look at the scripture and say, Lord, how does it apply to me? There's a good chance that it's going to apply to you no matter what number we're doing. And then secondly, I don't want you to hear ever in any of these weeks that I am definitively declaring the personality of a particular Bible character. I have no idea. I'm showing you that there are attributes or behaviors that are similar to that particular personality and maybe, maybe not. But the point is, is that the, the, it, I don't think God has called me to figure out the personality types of the characters. I don't think that that's part of my calling. I do believe that I can take the scripture, hold it up for you, and if you happen to come from that particular angle, those things are going to resonate because that particular uh, Bible character, that particular person who lived, um, is, is resonating in how they're behaving with your personality type. So I want you to see, see the difference. So here's the question. Um, who was the first to confess true belief in who Jesus was? Peter, who played devil's advocate when Jesus uh, told the disciples that he was going to be killed. This was Peter, who jumped out of the relative safety of the boat during the storm into certain terror of the raging sea in order to be near Jesus. Peter, who was the closest friend and confidant of Jesus. Peter, who was the leader of the disciples. Peter, who was willing to fight and die for Jesus. Peter, when push come to shove, who gave in into fear time and time again. Peter. Who did Jesus want the woman to specifically tell about his resurrection? Peter. Who was able to overcome his fear and deliver one of the most powerful sermons in recorded history? Peter. Peter attached himself to Jesus, but he also had his own fears and his anxieties to overcome. Now, sometimes we see Peter act out and, 
and uh, almost a counterphobic way. Um, they come to arrest Jesus. What does Peter do? Poor Peter. He, whoosh, I'm going to be a tough guy. It's like, and Jesus is like, oh, man, Peter. Did we really have to cut his ear off? So Jesus had to go, and he heals. There's a story where he heals the man's ear. Like, can you imagine? Jesus? My bad, my bad. He doesn't. He's, he's still learning. But Peter, in, in his sense of fear, he, one of his biggest downfalls, probably the biggest downfall of his life, really, was that he denied knowing Christ three times. They bring Christ in. They're about to execute Christ. They're out in this courtyard area. Peter's close enough. He's close enough to see the action and what's going on. And suddenly, some people start to recognize him. Hey, weren't you with Jesus? I, I, I think, hang on, I, pick up your, I, I think I recognize you. And on three occasions, the Bible declares that Peter denied Christ. Well, then Jesus is executed. Jesus gives up his life on the cross for our sin. And we pick up this story. Jesus has risen. He has returned. He begins to show himself to his disciples and, and others. And in John chapter 21, we come across one such story. Right before you end the Gospels and you move on to the Acts of the Apostles, right in here is this story where Jesus meets back up with Peter, who, remember, not long ago had denied him three times. And so it says this, after this, Jesus revealed himself to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias and revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. So a big posse together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going to go fishing. I like Simon Peter. They said to him, well, we'll go with you. They went out and they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Now, does this sound familiar? Peter, bunch of his friends, out on a boat all night, caught nothing. If it does sound familiar, it's because it's from Luke chapter 5. It's the, the, the time when Jesus said, hey, why don't you, you push out a little bit? Why don't you let down your nets? And so this end is a bookend to Peter's life, which started with Jesus, a boat, not catching any fish. And so this bookend starts to come together in John chapter 21. And we start to see Jesus coming back to Peter and, and affirming him again, pulling him back in. Because now Peter's fear was no longer about um, denying Christ. He was afraid of what the world would say if he denied Christ. But, but now he's already saw the death of Christ. And can you imagine his turmoil? Can you imagine knowing that you sold out uh, someone that you love so much? And so he, knowing that he died, being devoid of the relationship, that Jesus isn't here. And so he's walking around with all of this weight. And then suddenly, this breaks out. Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, and yet the disciples didn't know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. By the way, I tried this a few weeks ago uh, out at Lock Raven. I was like, man, I'm not catching any. Let me turn over here, and it didn't work. So y'all pray for me. I need more of Jesus. He said, turn around, throw it on the other side. You'll find some. So they cast the net, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Do you guys remember this? 
Remember? At the, the initial calling of Peter, same exact scenario is breaking out. As a bookend to Peter's uh, life in terms of, of the Gospels in John, we see the same sort of thing playing out. The disciple Jesus loved, because of the quantity, the disciple whom Jesus loved, this is typically known as John, therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work. And he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came to the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, about a hundred yards off. When they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it. I love this. I'm, I'm not preaching this today like I would preach at a different day or a different focus, but I love the fact that Jesus said, hey, do you guys have any fish? They're like, no, we don't have any. But then when they pulled up to land, Jesus already had the fish. Like the, 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 the fish were already there. Now he, he's like, hey, um, bring some of those that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. Count your miracles. Pay attention to the details. God's in those details. So Simon went aboard and hauled in the net ashore full of fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net wasn't torn. Similar. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. This is, was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. A sermon to the six. Jesus is your supply. His goodness is for you. Jesus is your supply. Jesus is your supply when, when you look into the world and you want to be secure about your situation. The truth is the most secure you can be is in Christ. He is the one that supplies you with that safety. He's the one that protects you. In order to tap into your own goodness towards others, you have to remind that you have been blessed by God's goodness towards you. He is the supply for me. He's got my back. He knows my needs. Even when he's ready to call me home, he is in control. I heard it expressed one way that there's not an atom that moves on the planet that's outside the authority of God. And even in my dark days, he's no less light. And so because of that, I've got to live with a framework, my natural flesh framework, just like we all have one. My natural flesh framework, if I'm a six, is to say, I'm concerned about things. I'm afraid about things. That anxiety grows. My fear grows. And as a result, if I'm not careful, if I'm not whole, if I'm not in Christ, if I'm not walking with the Spirit of God, that anxiety overwhelms me because I can't control it all. And so it's a, a, a great, important, valuable lesson for me to say, you know, God's goodness is for me. And I'm not resting in whether or not people treat me right. I'm not resting in what my bank account says. I'm not resting in all of these other promises that people make me, but they might deceive me. No, no, no. I'm resting in the goodness of Jesus. He's my supply. Whether he's the supply because he already had the fish, he didn't need my fish. I get so amazed when people think that Jesus needs your stuff. 
If you believe in him, like he created it all anyway, goofball. He doesn't need your stuff. He wants you to participate in co-laboring. He wants you to walk with him. He wants you to serve and to give. He wants that for you. But don't ever get it twisted. I um, started my first church when I was 25 years old. And in the first few months, I had this guy who was easily the biggest donor of our church. And as a guy that's 25 years old, newly married, the numbers he would give to the church were like half my salary. But I remember the moment that I had to decide, was I going to let that behavior, that mindset live inside of our congregation? That God needs him. And I remember because there was a decision we had to make and the right thing to do was on the table and he wanted to do something that was different. And so he literally said, well, I just think you need to know who pays the bills. I said, I have no problem knowing who pays the bills. God bless you. I'm sure there's a church out there that will bend to your will. You see, your supply doesn't come from other people. Your, your supply comes from the goodness of God. And you've got to be able to say, you know what, at the end of the day, Lord, you're either my Lord and Savior or not. But some of us would rather trust Jesus for our salvation in the day when we die than in our living right now where we are. So we'd rather really say, mentally, we'd rather really say, one day I'm going to go off into the, you know, an unknown place and I'm trusting Jesus to take me there. But right now, I can't trust Jesus if I tithe. Right now, I can't trust Jesus if I serve. I mean, look at my schedule. Right, right now, I can't trust Jesus if I attend a small group. I mean, I've got other commitments. And, and all of these things get in the way because we really, truly don't trust Christ. But Jesus is our supply, and his goodness is for us. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to them, yes, Lord, to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, tend to my sheep. And then he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? So he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my sheep. There's an interesting breakdown here in the, the language between there's essentially three levels of love. And Jesus in the first two, and I, there's debate on it, but I don't really care. I'm going to tell you where I am. Um, Jesus in the first two, he says, do you uh, essentially agape me? Do you love me to the highest possible degree, the degree at which God loves? And Peter's response in the first two was, I phileo you. I love you like Philadelphia. Brotherly love. I, I, I don't know if I can hear because I just failed you over here, Jesus. I, I don't know if I'm there. And in the third reply. He says, do you agape me? I phileo you. Do you agape me? I phileo you. Do you phileo me? And so 
There's significance in three, obviously, Trinity. There's significance in the third being asked because he's alluding to the fact that he was denied three times. And there's, I believe, still significance to be found in these words being used. That, that, that Peter was understanding in that moment that, that Jesus moved, Jesus, Jesus moved to, closer to me. That I'm not quite there yet. And I'm afraid that I'll be rejected. I'm afraid it won't be good enough. And my, my fears are kicking in. I know I let this guy down, but I love him. But it's God's goodness to us. God's goodness to us compels us to give goodness to others. Jesus was being so good to Peter. His goodness was overflowing to Peter. Peter had just denied him. He was in his worst day. He was about to get up on the cross, voluntarily die for all of you, for all of, uh, for all of us, for me and you. He was about to go up onto the cross and take on the sins of the world. Become sin, the scripture says. He who had no sin became sin. And this is where Jesus was headed to the cross. And that was the moment that Peter bailed out. But yet when Jesus comes to Peter, oh, the goodness of God. The goodness of God. Say, Peter, do you love me? Yeah, I love you. Do you love me? Yeah, I love you. Do you love me? Oh, Lord, I love you. See, some of the reason that we can't give the goodness of God to others is that we don't fully embrace the goodness that God has given to us. Because if I could fully embrace the goodness of God, and you might say, well, man, that's tough on Peter. I never bailed on Jesus. Really? If we had a video of some of your highlight reel, your sin highlight reel up here, do you think you might have bailed on Jesus a little bit? But in spite of all of that, here Jesus comes offering you the free gift of his salvation. In spite of all of that, he calls you out from the mire and the clay. In spite of all of that, he says there's a better day ahead of you. In spite of all of that, he says my goodness is poured out. My mercy is renewed every morning. Peter felt disqualified primarily because he was disloyal. Jesus brings him to this place. This is, by the way, the only other place where there was charcoal mentioned. When he was out there, there's char it's mentioned that he was out by a charcoal fire about, about when, he, when he denied Christ. And now he's back to the same spot. He's remembered his calling. All of this is pulled together in Peter's life to just be a display like, hey, yeah, remember when I called you? Remember when you abandoned me? Well, I got news for you, Peter. My love, my goodness for you is even greater than all of that. And what that makes in Peter is one that was called to be a fisherman. But when Peter was giving the charge out, it was feed my sheep. I want you to be a good shepherd to people. Jesus brings him to this place in order to redeem his past. He felt disloyal. He even had quit living forgiving and he started to focus on his own self and a lot of ways his life started to move forward and he started to to go back to fishing but Jesus had a mission for him to proclaim the gospel 
But then look on in verse 18. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you to where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Christ compels us to answer his call with courage and conviction. Christ compels us to answer his call with courage and conviction. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is moving forward in spite of fear. And so Jesus is looking at Peter who had bowed down and cowtailed, who, who, who came when, when Jesus approached Peter and he said, hey, do you love me? And, Jesus, and Peter's breaking down and he's like, look, look, then feed my sheep. Show me that you love me by your goodness towards others. Show me that you love me by caring about somebody outside yourself. Show me that you love me in this way. You and I, we could all learn a lesson because in many ways, all of us can relate to Peter's situation. We've denied Christ. We've walked away from Christ. We, we, we don't have a lot of good to offer in and of ourselves, but it's the goodness of God that overshadows all of that and allows us then to turn around and the goodness of God can be given to others. And so, yes, you might be afraid. Yes, you might want to just focus in on self. Yes, you might want to be a protectionist every chance you get. But at some point, you've got to let the goodness of God not only flow to you, but flow through you. And when we do that, we tap into the spirit of a God who serves and gives and loves us, whether or not we feel worthy. To the sixes, to all of us, as Christ followers, we're called to be brave. We're called to step forward into the unknown. We're called to reveal the goodness of God as he's worked in our lives. We're called to not just look after our own little circle, but to let goodness flow out of our lives. Overflow with that goodness. We're called to care about others. We're called to take the feeding that we've received from the Lord and portion it out to the world around us. We're not called to be superheroes that rely on our own strength. But we're also not called to hide away in a corner sucking our thumb. We're called to step forward courageously into tomorrow and at each turn look to give goodness. What could God do with your life if you were stretched into the fruit of the Spirit called goodness? You say, well, I'm a sinner. Yes, yeah, so is Peter. Well, I denied Christ too much. Well, so did Peter. He goes on to give one of the greatest sermons ever recorded. Many, many, many people come to faith in Christ. But it started with a guy who was afraid. It started with a guy who protected himself. It started with somebody that tried to hide. But when they understood the goodness of God and God showered his love over Peter, and then he called him and said, hey, in your next journey, you're going to be taken where you don't want to go. Your arms are going to be stretched out. And he's alluding to this death. He says again, follow me. 
You see, in Luke 5, we often talk about Jesus' call to Peter, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And it says they left everything to follow him. But then somewhere along the way, they picked, Peter picked back up his own protectionism. I've got to be safe. So no, I don't know Jesus. And Jesus comes back and he says to him, uh-uh, follow me. Maybe you're in a place today where there was an initial calling on your life. But you know that you've gone back and you've picked up some things. And maybe today Jesus looks to you and says, uh-uh, I want you to follow me. Be brave. Give your goodness out into the world. Feed my sheep. May all of us look to ourselves and understand that part of God's calling on our lives is that we feed sheep. That the goodness doesn't just stay here, but it overflows. And may we be a church that fully embraces the idea that when God got a hold of me, he didn't get a hold of me to make me a spiritual cul-de-sac. He got a hold of me to make me a spiritual superhighway. And may we leave this place and we go out and give out the goodness of God in Christ Jesus. And may when people ask us why, we can tell them who Jesus is. And he's good. Let's pray.